All right, well, welcome back. We're on part two of a series we're calling The Perfect Christian. Uh, spoiler alert, they do not exist so far as I've ever met. Maybe you've met the perfect Christian. Maybe you are the perfect Christian. If that's so, I'm glad you're here. Welcome to those, again, watching online or watching maybe later the week on our app or uh, through our website. Um, just as an FYI, if you're wondering why the scenery changes, because we're back in our normal space, which feels really, really good. I'm excited to be here and excited uh, for the months to come as we kind of rebuild and remember how to do all this stuff. It takes a lot longer than it used to. Um, so big shout out to our production team, our setup and teardown, our kids team, our band, everybody who just works really hard getting here at 7.30 in the morning to put this all together and then stays late to put it all away again. Um, yes. Yeah. Woohoo. Yeah. There you go. Um, and you can be a part of that awesome team. I know 7.30, I just really sold it to you on a Sunday, but uh, it is worth it. And it's a great group of people to be with and hang with, all right? Anyways, so last week um, we talked in the series, um, just to recap real quick, if you, if you just weren't here, you missed it or fell asleep, that's okay. To recap, we talked about this idea that a lot of Christians, the, especially the perfect Christians, the Christians that try to be perfect and let everybody know that they're perfect, are uh, obsessed, excuse me, with knowing where this line is. They're obsessed with this line because they want to make sure that they're more on the good side of the line than on the bad side. And they spend so much of their time as a Christian trying to manage where that line is and making sure they're on the right side of that line and make sure that everybody else can see that they're on the right side of that line. Um, and then um, and we, we talked about it. We talked about um, how Christians um, will try to get really close sometimes to that line, but not cross the line. And, and so they want to know, like, you know, where's that so I know how much fun I can have before I cross the line into bad Christian um, and, and, you know, mess it all up and really upset God and all that stuff. And ultimately, we, you know, Christians just want to know how much good can I do so that way at the end of my life I can make it to heaven. So there's that piece of it. And then a lot of perfect Christians, especially groups of Christians, churches, and, and especially denominations uh, in the United States and really around the world, um, they disagree about where that line is. And if you actually look at why there's so many church splits and, and, and disagreements within churches and, and, and denominations and groups of churches, affiliations of churches, it, it's not really about the core foundations of, of Christianity. Oftentimes their disagreements have to do with where that line is. And honestly, if you want to look through church history and you want to see why are there so many denominations, just look through the filter of them trying to figure out who has the better line, who is the more righteous and holy line, and that they're better, they have a better line than everybody else's, and so it, 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 they, they break up. Even this week, um, I was reading in the newspaper um, on my phone. I, I don't get it physical, but I just want to, okay. Um, but I was reading the newspaper. Um, one of the largest denominations in the United States um, had their big uh, international national meeting, maybe you read about this, and in their meeting, there was booing, there was anger, there was threats made. They even had to put enhanced security around certain people within their church because of threats that had been made about them from other Christians. And I'm like, what in the world could have brought such angst and pain and, and anger around? Well, let me tell you, it wasn't Jesus. 
Because nobody in that conversation, nobody in that international gathering was disagreeing about who Jesus was. They were disagreeing about what was good and bad. They were disagreeing about who was the gooder of all the other people and who was the badder of all the other people. Yeah, I know that's not a real word, okay? But, you know, and, and so they disagree about that. But as we talked about last week, when you talk about Jesus, very few churches actually disagree about who Jesus is. And so the conclusion last week is we all need, as Christians, especially perfect Christians, really need to be getting to know and following Jesus. And we need to be asking a, a particular question that we ended with last week, and the question is, who is Jesus? And this is a fantastic question, whether you're Christian or not. In fact, if you're an atheist, agnostic, nothing, you don't consider yourself very religious, this is still the, a great spot to start when it comes to figuring out religions and to making sure that your atheism, your Gnosticism, your nothing is justified. It's just making sure that you understand who Jesus is and Jesus is not worth your time. And if you're a Christian, this is a great question to always come back to because I'm telling you what, I continue to learn things about Jesus to this day and I've been doing it for quite a few years now. Now and got a master's degree and all that good stuff to, you know, be sophisticated and, and to know Jesus, okay? But I'm just telling you, there is a whole lot less conflict when your primary concern is this question. When churches come together and they say, you know what, our focus is together figuring out who Jesus is and following him better, there tends to be less conflict. We tend to get um, less out of whack. And so if you missed any of that or that sounds interesting to you, you want to rewatch it, you can do that by downloading our app or um, going to our website under the messages tab. It's there as well. So today, that was a recap, by the way. Um, you're like, why do you preach so long then, Taylor, if you can recap it so quickly? I know. Um, <clears throat> so today, we're going to be talking about what's called loopholes, or what are called loopholes, okay? Loopholes. Um, and uh, we actually talked about this a long, 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 long time ago. I think we were actually in the coffee shop the last time we had this conversation about loopholes. But just given what's going on in the world today and what's going on in Christianity, I thought this is a really good thing that we need to come back to, especially as we're talking about who is Jesus and revisit it, okay? Um, loopholes are something that um, we all know how to do like innately, okay? If you have ever parented a child, babysat a child, been around children, you know they know how to get around the rules. Nobody teaches this stuff. We just find the technicalities in the rules where we make these rules up. For example, a parent will say to their child, I'm not saying this has ever happened in our household, I'm just, this is just an example, um, but they may say, hey, darling, please do not hit your sister. Thank you. And then a minute later, then you'll hear crying and you'll walk in and what happened and and, and they just kind of look at you like, well, I didn't hit them, but that's just because they held the doll and the doll was the thing that hit them. And so technically, they did not hit their sister. The doll hit their sister, right? Or, or I don't know if you ever had this conversation growing up, maybe in your teenage college years, I don't know. But you know, you say, hey, mom, dad, I'm going out to a friend's house. And they're like, are their parents going to be home? And you say, yes, I think their parents are going to be home. Okay? I didn't say that they were home when I was there, but they will eventually come back home. So they are going to be home. So you get the sense of what I'm talking about here. Is, is you got this contrast, if we go back to last week real quick, if you go back, the contrast between bad and good. And you're trying to find a way to do what you want to do when you want to do it without crossing that line, I suppose, in, in, in our logic. 
Um, and, and this was prevalent, especially in Jesus's time. And that's why I, I want to talk about it today. Um, this happened all the time in Jesus's time, as well as, as it happens today. Loopholes in religion are just so incredibly commonplace. And you maybe grew up in a church where you saw this happen a lot and you kind of scratch your head, especially as you grew up and you realize, I'm not sure that you're doing what you're really supposed to be doing. I get how you're justifying it, but I'm not sure that's really the intent or the idea that you're just doing it this way so you can get away with it, you can feel like it's okay or that nobody's gonna get upset with you. Um, A great example of of this just in religion in general is um, I went to uh, Israel a couple years ago, and uh, it was a very insightful trip. Um, and uh, Jerusalem specifically, which is where we were, we spent a lot of time there. Um, probably half of our uh, half of our 14 days there in Jerusalem. And um, Jerusalem is like a melting pot of religions, um, and not like they all work together. I, I should say maybe like. Uh, a, a messed up pizza um, with a lot of different, like somebody wanted pineapple and they wanted taco and somebody wanted Canadian bacon. It just didn't work out very well. And there's bullet holes everywhere to, to prove that. Um, but you just have a, a mix of religions all living together. And so it's a great, um, a great way to quickly see there are there's got to be some loopholes because everybody's on such different pages. For example, if you're um, more in the Jewish side of things, you'll walk around and you'll see um, some men wearing uh, kippahs on their hat, uh, on their head. Um, some men uh, will have tassels. Um, some men will wear all black. Some men will have um, uh, black boxes with scripture in them on their forehead and they'll walk around like this. And, uh, and, and then some uh, Jewish men will have none of that. And if you stop and you ask uh, one of these Jewish men uh, what, what this, uh, why there's such a, a difference or variety, um, they'll, they'll give you an explanation of, you know, well, if you look at this verse this way and this way, and we're actually under this law, and, you know, this, this happened within the temple system, and so therefore this is why we do what we do. And, um, you know, we're not anti the people who, you know, wear verses on their heads, but we're not doing that either. And, and you're like, well, that, that's kind of a loophole, isn't it? Uh, or if you're um, in, um, uh, f- there's parts of um, Jerusalem that are um, in mo- modern, or in Palestine, or considered Palestine, West Bank, and um, they, uh, they will, uh, some of them will stop and pray, because uh, in, in Islam, you're supposed to pray five times a day. It's the second pillar of Islam. I mean, it's a pillar of Islam. You feel like it would be a requirement, but yet when the minarets go and they, and they um, uh, pray in Arabic over the loudspeakers over the entire city, like everybody just keeps going and about doing their thing. And I know our bus driver was um, uh, a Muslim and he just kept driving. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is your time to pray. But again, if you were to ask them, you know, they'd give you this kind of roundabout explanation of why they don't have to do that and this, that, and the other thing. And, and eventually I just came to realize it's okay. Because who am I as a Christian to judge loopholes? Because Christians are notorious, as are other religions, for having loopholes. Two of the most uh, common ones that that I could think of, maybe you could think of some of your own, you can tell me or email me later, but um, the the, uh, first easy one is going to church. Okay, you know you should probably do it, but boy, are you great at finding reasons not to, right? I mean, you were, oh, had a long day. My boss was, you know, just, oh, and I just, I got to take Sunday off. You know, Lord, thank you. 
Okay, you know, you just, and then that's it. And, and I'm not judging either. When I was an agnostic, and, and my wife Stephanie, she'll tell you this. Um, actually, I think this was not when I was agnostic. I think it was, I just had made the decision to come, come back to, to, to Christ and, and was following Jesus. And, but I really wasn't back in the whole church scene yet. And uh, so I just told her, hey, you know, today for church, let's just watch a YouTube video and we'll call it good from the comfort of our home. We're not even going to watch a live service or anything. We're just going to pull up something on YouTube and, and we're going to call that a day. And I, that was my loophole around getting together for church, church, the community of people. Like you, it's really difficult to do church without people because that's what the church is. And yet we, we do that anyways. Um, some of you grew up in a tradition um, where baptism maybe wasn't explicitly said this way, but it was implied that if you don't get baptized, you ain't going to make it. Okay. If you don't get the sprinkle, sprinkle, there's no heaven after death. Okay? The only way to get there is through baptism. And as you logic that out, you think to yourself, okay, so God's sitting in heaven, and then, you know, we got it, we're going to go to the pearly white gates, and then, you know, as the jokes all go, you know, St. Peter's going to be there and like, well, did he get the sprinkle, sprinkle? Yep, you can go. Nope, you, you know, you, no matter what else you do, nothing else matters, but did you get baptized or not? And that's how you're going to, and this was a loophole that came about um, later on in Christian history uh, for a certain religion that shall not be named to kind of maintain control because that's what Christians sometimes, unfortunately, have a notorious way of going about doing. All religions have loophole theology built in, or if it's not there, they'll build it in to figure out ultimately how do they best get on the good side. And we love the idea that all you have to do is get baptized and then you get to go to heaven because it just makes it so easy. And so it's really easy for people to catch on to that, but that's not really how it means. It's a, that's a really like literal and really upside down interpretation of what baptism really is all about. So anyways, baptism, inward symbol, uh, inward decision, outward symbol. So something happens in here and then you publicly say, this is what I've decided inside to do. In other words, I've decided to follow Jesus. I'm going to publicly tell everybody about that. Okay. So anyways, back, that was really brief uh, baptism explanation. Okay. So anyways, and then loophole religion gets really bad and you've seen this happen. You know this, you went to, you, you paid attention a little bit in history class growing up in high school. Uh, oftentimes what happens then on the dangerous end of loopholes is people will disregard and people will mistreat the people for whom Jesus died using God's word. People have enslaved Africans with a verse. People have demeaned women with a verse. They have subjugated ethnicities with a verse. The Crusades were based on some verses here and there. They have persecuted homosexuals with a verse. They've demeaned their spouse with a verse. And it's just so confusing. I mean, how in the world can you disregard and mistreat the people for whom Jesus died using his father's word? It just seems so backwards. And if it's confusing or you feel sometimes an inner conflict, then what we'll do is we'll just ignore it altogether. We'll just ignore God's word altogether. And then we'll, we'll, we'll just ignore it and then we'll do what we want or we'll just stay angry and bitter. and We won't try to reconcile. We'll just be resentful or afraid. And, and it just leads us down a very deep and dark path. But we justify it with loophole thinking. And this is why, this is why, this is one of the reasons, just one, of the reasons why Jesus is so important. 
Because when you follow Jesus, you don't look for loopholes. When you follow Jesus, you don't look for loopholes. Jesus's religion was not a loophole religion. Let me tell you what Jesus did, or maybe for some of you, I'll remind you what Jesus did, and then, and then we're gonna read about it, okay? He addressed loopholes because they were so common as I think they are today. And here's in essence what he did. Let me tell you about what he did, and then, then we're gonna read, okay? Um, Jesus brought people back to what we're gonna call for the rest of today, to the spirit of the law. Which I think is just a really interesting choice of verbiage. This is our verbiage, by the way, not Jesus's. We've given it the phrase, the spirit of the law, right? So, so there's the letter of the law, okay? The letter of the law says, are your parents, are their parents going to be home? The letter of the law then says, depending on your interpretation, yeah, at some point they're going to be home. But then there's the spirit of the law. And I think this is so interesting because it's a religious connotation to it, the spirit of it, this deeper sense, the bigger picture, the fuller sense of what's happening. The spirit of the law says, are your parents, are their parents going to be home when you go over there? Well, the spirit, what the spirit is, Hey, I want you to be safe. I want you to make good decisions. So I want to know, are their parents home when you get there? There's a difference. Letter of the law versus spirit. Jesus brought people back to the spirit of the law. The idea that are you going to be on time for class or you should be on time for class? Why? So you don't miss something. If you're 50 minutes late, you've missed possibly a quarter of the whole class. So be on time. If you're late to work, the letter of the law says you got to be on time. But the reason the spirit of it is, well, then the rest of your coworkers may suffer because you were later. The spirit of the law, or excuse me, the, the, um, Another example is a bedtime. I, I know in our house, the idea behind bedtime is, or the spirit behind bedtime is that then you get a good sleep, right? Everybody sleeps well, and mommy and daddy get a little bit of a break, right? So we have a breather. We have some space. Jesus brought people back to that. Not, and, and he brought back people back to that not because he was, tr he, because he was trying to bring people away from the idea that, um, that you're not trying to win brownie points with God. You're not trying to be on the good side. That way God's going to be like, oh, he's just, she's just so great. That's not your goal. Your goal is to follow the spirit of the law, the spirit of what Jesus desired for his people. You can read this when you get home. Matthew chapter 15 is a famous example. Maybe you know this. Jesus in this story is rebuking the Pharisees. Um, he's rebuking the, the religious leaders in this moment um, because the religious leaders especially were notorious for using loopholes to get what they wanted. And essentially, here's what the religious leaders were doing. Um, they were uh, taking two laws and, and using one law to make the other law easier for themselves. The first law was to honor your father and mother. Some of you know this, this rule. It's a, it's a commandment, one of the Ten Commandments. And the intent of the rule um, was that through not only your childhood and adulthood, but especially in your age, in your, your parents' age, that you would be there to take care of them. Because you, in those days, you couldn't just take your parents to the home, okay? There was no home to take them to. You were the home, okay? Uh, you can't take them to, there just wasn't a nursing home, and so you had to take care of them. And it was expensive to care for the elderly, which it kind of is still today. And the religious leaders and the Pharisees were like, this is too expensive, and I don't want to use all the money I'm making to help them out. 
Okay, they raised me, that was their choice, and now I'm just going to live my best life now instead of spend it to help my mom and my dad. And so Jesus called them out. He literally just straight up called them a hypocrite. Uh, He did this on a number of occasions. And essentially he said, what you're doing is you're saying, you're taking your money, and then what they did is they devoted it to God. And so they said, Mom, Dad, I'm sorry. I'd love to help, but I've given all my wealth to the Lord And it also just so happens that I'm a religious leader that works for the Lord, so I'm going to spend it how I want to anyways, because I'll just use it as religious purposes on my taxes, okay? And I'm going to write it off how I want to write it off, and everybody's going to be good, nobody's going to know the difference, and and I'm still going to be a righteous person. I'm still going to be on the good side of things. And Jesus said, no, you are missing the point, you hypocrites. You are missing the spirit of the law. You are trying to use God's laws to hurt God's people. That doesn't make any sense. And perfect Christians try to do this in their attempt to appear perfect, to appear within the letter of the law, but miss the spirit of the law completely. There's this other famous moment we've talked about it a number of times, but really, honestly, it's worth bringing up over and over again because it's just so, per, uh, it's just so critical, so important, okay? And it comes uh, later in Matthew, Matthew, Matthew chapter um, 22, okay? And Jesus, again, is about to rebuke the Pharisees for their, you know, limited thinking and, and their loophole thinking and their uh, letter of the law thinking. And... Um, uh, and, and essentially what he's about to do is he's going to outline the spirit behind everything. The spirit behind everything. Okay, you, this may be familiar to you. Okay, Matthew chapter 22. He's hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. Okay, so the Sadducees were another group of people, believed some different things um, that the Pharisees didn't, but they were all religious leaders and all important and all wealthy and all that stuff. Okay, the Pharisees, so the Pharisees got together because they, they heard that the Sadducees got beat up by Jesus, you know, verbally, not physically. And the Pharisees are like, well, we're going to show, we're going to show Jesus. Okay, so one of them, an expert in the law, And he was an expert. Why? So he could get around it. Tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law or in the Torah, in the first five books of the Bible? Okay. And then Jesus is going to do something incredible. Something that nobody had ever done in history up to that point. Nobody had ever done in Judaism up until that point. Jesus is going to take a prayer. He's going to take a prayer that Jews would pray morning and night. And they, I, I think that many of them still do. And it's called the Shema. Okay. And it's out of Deuteronomy chapter six. And it says something along the lines of, this is from memory, but hear, O Israel, you shall love uh, the Lord your God is one. And, you, and as for you, you should love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And it's a prayer that Jews said morning and night, which is actually a really good practice that, that we should get in. And there's a great book um, by a guy named Scott McKnight called The Jesus Creed. And he talks about this. And this is actually a part of his daily routine. Every morning and night or any time he thinks about it, he then says the Jesus Creed, which is what Jesus is about to say. He's taking this prayer and then he's, he's going to take this prayer and then he's going to add another command to it and really like throw the Pharisees off because they weren't used to this, to make a point about the spirit of the law. So what is the greatest spirit, uh, command um, in the law? Jesus goes on. He says, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Okay, so he's bringing that Shema in. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then, uh-oh, catch, there's a second. And the second is like it. He goes on to say, love your neighbor as yourself. 
all of, all 600 plus 13, 43, there's a lot, okay, there's over 600. All the law and the prophets hang off these two commands. In other words, there's a bar holding up all the other commands, and the bar is to love God and to love your neighbor. And all of them are just extensions of that right there. All of them just hang on. If that bar wasn't there, they'd all fall to the ground and be useless. But the spirit of everything Jesus does, everything God does behind it is to love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus didn't just teach this. He embodied it. If you go and you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or any of the Gospels, okay, read them through the lens of this command right here. And Jesus, time and time again, pretty much everything he does is just an expression, an illustration, or an example of this law. So if you want to get to know Jesus, you got to get to know this, because it's Jesus. This is Jesus. This is what Jesus came to bring people back to, the spirit of the law. And he brought them back again and again and again throughout his ministry. And there's this question. There's this question that I kind of try to bring up at least once a year. It comes from a guy named Andy Stanley. He's a pastor down in Atlanta. And it's such a good question that just, man, it's just hard to, it's hard to loophole your way around this question. Here's the question. What does love require of me? So if you're trying to make a decision, what, what am I going to do in this situation? How do I handle this situation? How do I handle this religion, relationship? You just ask yourself the question, what, what does love require of me? For those of you online, what does requi love require of me? Does love require me to take care of my aging parents or devote all my money to God? Does love require of me to put down that doll and not hit my sister? Yes. Does love require me to be, on, be at work on time, to show up for class on time, to follow through with my commitments, to be more generous, to reconcile with someone that upsets me and I'm frustrated with? What do you think? Does God's love require that? Does love require me to get baptized, for example? Not because it's a task, but because I love God. And I would just want to let everybody know that, that I am beginning a relationship with God and I, I love God. Something's happened in here and I just want to let everybody else know. Confession, those of you who grew up Catholic or in Catholic tra tra traditions, all you had to do, you had a great loophole for your sin, all you had to do was take your sin bucket and go to church and, and you could just dump it out on the priest and then you were good to go, right? You know, forgiven, good, good to go. So nice and easy, so convenient. Just letting you know, if anything is terribly convenient when it comes to following Jesus, it may not be the full picture. Just saying. I'm not, I know I'm really selling Jesus right now, but I'm just saying that Jesus' way may be a little harder, but it is so much better. Confession is something you should do. But one man is not just going to be able to go this, except Jesus. If you've sinned against God, 
who do you think you should start with? God. If you've sinned against your neighbor, do you just get to go to the priest and dump it out on the priest and then you're okay? What did Jesus say? You go to your brother, you reconcile before you come back and offer a sacrifice to your father in heaven. Wow, that makes a lot more sense. The priest is going to make it better with this other guy? That does, confession is a great idea. We've just tried to loophole our way around it so we can make it easier on ourselves. And ultimately, it's not easier. Ultimately, we're really hurting ourselves and others. No matter what is happening in your marriage, in our church, in your small group, in your team, with your roommates, with your coworkers, with somebody that you meet at the grocery store, it doesn't matter. Your enemies even. Jesus said, what does love require of me? This is what you need to be asking yourselves. You got to love God and love your neighbor. And you say to yourself, or maybe you're thinking to yourself, you, you want to say to me, well, Taylor, if you've met my husband, if you've met my kids, if you've met this person that I know that I'm really upset with, you know, if you knew them, you wouldn't blame me for not loving them. Just FYI, I hope this wraps this up for you. <clears throat> you don't deserve God's love. And I'm not trying to say that as a mean thing. I'm just saying that as a thing thing. You haven't done really anything to deserve creator. If there's a creator of the universe, creator of the universe, people, have you really done anything to deserve his affection? Are you that perfect? You don't deserve your, God's love, but he still loves you. Your spouse will never deserve your love. They can never do enough, really, to deserve your love. You have to decide sometimes to love anyways. I'm not saying you stay in a situation that is unhealthy and unsafe. I am just saying, though, that there are times in which you have to say, hey, what does love require? And yes, there are times when love says you got to get to a safer place. Love says you got to say no. But oftentimes in relationships that I see, it's often a point where somebody just needs to ask themselves a question. Is it loving to make a snide remark back? No. And you know that. What does love require of me? Love. I want to clarify this a different way for you, just to make sure we're all on the same page. Your heavenly father doesn't look for loopholes when it comes to loving you. That's the God we believe in, a God that doesn't try to find a loophole out of loving you. And I know it's easy to say, I know it's easy for me to say, it's easy for me to say, well, you know, I've, I've had a nice childhood, I've been, I've been raised right, you know, I have a good education, I have a lot of things, I, I think, just personally, going for me. Yet, I know all the things that I've done, those that I at least remember, and all the thoughts that I've had that were wrong. And I know that God still has not found a loophole or is not looking for a loophole, rather, out of loving me. So many reasons he could have found it. You know, Taylor, you, got, you had a good childhood. You should have learned that. You should have got that right. And he has not taken that loophole. And he does not take that loophole with you. Jesus' followers don't look for loopholes. They look for, how do I love my neighbor? How do I love my neighbor? How do I love the Father through the Son? 
Jesus followers don't use the Bible as a bat. They don't use the Bible to figure out ways to unlove the people around them. They use the Bible as a mirror to figure out how they can maybe work some things differently inside of them to better love God and love their neighbor. It is difficult to do. But you know, you know deep down, Christian or not, you know it is the right thing to do. You know this is such a more compelling version of Christianity than the Christianity that makes the news these days. This is a Christianity that changes lives. This is a, this is a Christianity that people really should know about, but too often we've missed the mark. So let's ask the question, what does love require of me? I can't think of a good loophole around this. The only loophole I can think of is to really convolute and mess up love. But other than that, if you ask yourself and you learn about God's version of love, what did John say? God is love. God is literally love. If you want to know what love is, know God. Imagine tomorrow if you went to work, you didn't ask this question, but all your coworkers asked this question. You walked in and they asked the question, what does love require of me when they meet you? Do you think it would change some things? Do you think that you'd have a conversation with your boss that you've been wanting to have, but they keep ignoring it? Or that coworker that, you know, really holds back the team. They just, they're there early, in fact, this, this week. And, and they show up and they're just working hard and you don't have to pick up their slack anymore. Or, or maybe you're that coworker and so you're going to pick up your slack that maybe you've been letting off. Why? Because you're trying to love better. Don't you think it'd change some things in your life? If you bring this to your parent or your parents start asking the question or, or your friends or your, your kids or an employee, they start asking this question, wouldn't it resolve some of the tensions in your life, the relationships that have broken in your life? If with Jesus in mind, if Jesus' version of love is in our minds and our hearts, and we ask this question, don't you think it changed some things in our lives and the lives around us? That's how God intended it to be from the beginning. And then we've just kind of messed it up a little bit, a lot of it. So let's go back to what it was intended to be. Let's go back to the spirit of what it was intended to be. Jesus' spirit. The spirit that changes hearts and minds and changes the world. That's what it means to be a perfect Christian. If you would um, bow your heads and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for um, sending your son. So many of us, we think sending your son was, was a matter of the cross and death, and that was certainly part of it. But the good news of Jesus coming to earth is so much more than that. It involves knowing and understanding what it means to love better, what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves. And as an extension of that, what it means to live life as you ex intended it to be lived. Lord, help us to sometimes be willing to take the difficult route, to take a more challenging route, because that's what love requires of us. But in the end, we already kind of know that if we go the route of love, we're ultimately gonna be more grateful how it all ends up in the end, how the relationship looks in the end, how our heart feels in the end.
Lord, help us to wisely ask this question and to wisely answer this question so we could be God-honoring, Jesus-honoring, and honoring ourselves and others in the process. This is a difficult thing to do. Help us to reach out to friends or family who we know could bring wise counsel as we try to navigate some of the most difficult parts of our lives that, that we have to ask this question about. How do we handle that challenge? How do we handle this decision? What does love require? Let's not shy away, but let's lean in to following Jesus in this way. And in so doing, being a Christian that is worthy of that title. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.